The Talking Points podcast is produced in partnership with Fee Michael Gibson and clinicaltrialresults.org. Hi, Mike Gibson and Jesper Svensson coming to you live from ESC 2021, and we are talking about the loop study using an implantable loop recorder to detect AF and uh, possibly reduce the risk of stroke. So I'm very interested to see what you uh, have to say. Yeah, thank you, Michael. I'm... um... I'm representing the uh, investigators in in the loop study, and uh, we have uh, performed this uh, investigator-initiated randomized control trial, where we have uh, randomized a total of 6,004 participants. They were randomized in a a one-to-three ratio to either receive an implantable loop recorder, that was one fourth of the patients, um, a total of uh, 1,503 participants, or to uh, join the control group, that was 4,503 participants. And uh, the inclusion criteria were age above 70 years and at least one uh, predefined uh, diagnosis which confer an increased risk of stroke, either hypertension, diabetes, previous stroke, or heart failure. And uh, if we uh, buy the implantable loop recorder, which was a reveal link from Medtronic with continuous um, um, uh, remote monitoring, Uh, If we detected atrial fibrillation with a duration of at least six minutes, then we um, started oral anticoagulation uh, on the patient. And um, in in the uh, ILR group, we uh, found that um, more than 30% of the patients um, had atrial fibrillation during their monitoring period, which was in an average more than uh, three years, uh, versus uh, more than 12% in the control group. And uh, those who had atrial fibrillation detected had a very high percentage of initiating oral anticoagulation in both groups. So, uh, and we had um, a little more than 50% of the participants were males. The average age was uh, between 75 and 75 years, 74 and 75 years of age. And uh, 91% of the participants had hypertension. they had a median chats vask score of four. They had a uh, normal kidney function and, and they received a uh, contemporary medical treatment for their uh, inclusion diagnosis. Um, 
With respect to the primary endpoint, which was the uh, composite of either um, stroke or uh, systemic arterial embolism, we found a total of um, 318 um, participants with a primary event. And we found um, 4.5% in the ILR group versus 5.6% in the control group. And uh, this gave a hazard ratio of uh, 0.80. And uh, this was not statistically significant with a p-value of 0.11. With respect to the secondary outcomes, we had some, some uh, combined endpoints of ischemic stroke, systemic arterial embolism, or, or TIAs. And here we saw no uh, statistical, statistically difference between the two groups. And also the combined endpoint of stroke, systemic arterial embolism or cardiovascular death, there was no difference between the two groups. And similarly, with respect to uh, death from all cause, um, we saw no difference between the two groups. Major bleeding occurred in 4.3% in the ILR group versus 3.5% in the control group. And again, no significant difference between the two groups. With respect to hemorrhagic stroke, we saw that this occurred in a total of 45 participants and there was 0.8% of hemorrhagic stroke in both groups. So no difference here either. With respect to subgroup analysis, there were no difference between the uh, two groups with respect to various subgroups, except for baseline systolic blood pressure. If we here looked into the group with the highest tertile of systolic blood pressure, which means a systolic blood pressure above 157, then there was a significant difference between the groups so that um, those with the highest blood pressure seem to have a benefit from being ILR monitored. Um, and this was also significant after uh, analysis for interaction. Finally, if we performed uh, a sensitivity analysis that was pre-specified, where we only looked at those um, who had been receiving their assigned intervention for a period of at least three years, um, then we could see that we had a total of 307 primary, primary outcomes in total and 3.9 in the ILR group versus 5.6% in the control group. And this was uh, statistically significant. So in conclusion, in participants with high risk of stroke, ILR screening resulted in a three-fold increase in the detection of AF and anticoagulation initiation 
but no significant reduction in stroke or systemic arterial embolism. And although AF was diagnosed in more than 30% of the participants in the ILR group, and 91% of these received oral anticoagulation, the risk reduction uh, by intention to treat was 20% and non-significant. And if we go in the other direction and assume that the 20% reduction is a true estimate, then it would be needed to, um, to uh, have a number needed to screen to avoid one stroke or systemic arterial embolism of 62 individuals. We found no effect on mortality uh, and our rates of bleeding were, uh, were modest despite our very low threshold for starting oral anticoagulation. Wow, I'm, I'm actually uh, pretty excited by the results, fascinating. How well powered were you to detect a difference between the two arms? What was your assumption going into? Yeah, we were, we are, we were optimistic with the power assumption, so that we uh, had a we we uh, wanted to be able to detect a thirty five percent risk reduction with an eighty percent power, and with this uh, estimate, we required two hundred and seventy nine. Um, primary events, but obviously a 35% risk reduction, that is an, an enormous effect. Um, yes, and um, so, you know, had you done a bigger study, just so the audience understands that P of 0.11 might have been significant if the relative risk had held up, it's not appropriate to go backwards and say, well, here's the percent event reduction we found, here's the number of events and patients, but people look all the time, what kind of power did you have retrospectively? Yeah. Keeping in mind power is a prospective uh, construct. Yeah. Do you know what kind of power you had for a 20% reduction? I mean, obviously you didn't hit the 35%, you hit 20%, but uh, yeah. you were a little underpowered there, I imagine. Yeah, I, I, we, we have to say that, that um, we, we probably should have, have sort of had a cohort with a higher risk of stroke. We also have to realize that by this uh, sort of method and, and the very low threshold for initiating um, uh, oral anticoagulation, it's not, it's not the same as when you detect atrial fibrillation by other methods. Here we are primarily identifying short-lasting episodes, i.e. paroxysmal uh, episodes of atrial fibrillation, whereas if you are doing more short-lasting uh, screening methods, then you would detect episodes of atrial fibrillation, which were in another category and probably having another uh, risk of stroke. So, so have you broken the results down by the duration of AFib uh, to see if there was any interaction there? We we looked into the sort of the number of, of uh, patients who who had a stroke during their monitoring, and, and there was a very poor uh, time resolution 
with respect to uh, to when they had the stroke, despite being on oral anticoagulation. So, and that has been found by others too, that the uh, the time time um, um, association with development of stroke uh, is is very poor. How old were the people? I, you said an average uh, average age of um, seventy four to seventy five. Was yeah. there any age entry criteria? For instance, yeah, the yeah. study had to be over sixty five. Did you have any entry criteria? They had to be over seventy years. Over seventy. Okay. Yeah. So uh, these are these are higher risk patients. Yeah. And the, the interaction with uh, hypertension is interesting. That's very provocative. A number needed to treat of, of 60 some, uh, or number needed to screen of 62 is provocative. I know how hard it is to do these studies. Congratulations. A 6,000 patient investigator initiated study is an enormous amount of work. That is an enormous undertaking. All of you are to be uh, congratulated uh, on that. Are you encouraged by what you saw? Do you think this is fertile ground for future investigation? Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, I mean, we saw um, we saw this um, this reduction in stroke rate in in twenty uh, percent. Uh, when you see the cumulative incidence curves over time, uh, the curves are diverging. You shouldn't. You should be. You should be, be hesitating and in, in doing too much uh, interpretation or, or, on the look of uh, of curves, but uh, it's it's still encouraging. And I also think that can I uh, ask you a question, Jasper? This is a very important question. The goal is not only to reduce the you know the risk of stroke, but uh, you know it's not only to find AFib, but it's to find it earlier as well. So for instance, in our study, the Heartline study, we're looking at Kaplan-Meier methods of did we accelerate the timing of diagnosis of AFib? Did you accelerate the timing of diagnosis of AFib? Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to sort of, of make those kind of conclusions now. Okay. Um, but, but back to, I mean, you asked... If if I thought this uh, this study would sort of be encouraging for for future studies, and I would say that the uh, sort of uh, the uh, data with respect to blood pressure are definitely uh, encouraging for for uh, generating new hypotheses, and I also think that the um, the uh, sensitivity analysis where, where we see a signal in those who have actually been um, screened for the reasonably period of time is in accordance with other screening studies generally. Those who are not receiving the full package of what the screening implies, they are probably those who are really at risk. So I mean, those who are uh, wanting to get out of the study for some reasons are probably very high risk patients. Yeah, I'm sure they are. 
Well, I'm just uh, very blown away by what all of you accomplished uh, in an investigator-initiated study. Congratulations to you and all the investigators. I find the data very encouraging about uh, the future and future areas of research in this space. Thanks for taking time out and uh, telling us about your study. Thank you.